Uh, I'm sharing with you this morning about being steadfast. That's the title of the message, being steadfast. I know some of you love to make notes. You wanna jot that down. Please turn so long to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we will look at it in a moment's time. But let me start off by setting the tone and making a few statements uh, firstly before we get into the scripture. And I wanna start off by saying this following statement, that God wants his children to stand steadfast and firm. Would you agree with that? You and I as children of God, God wants us to stand steadfast. He wants us to be firm. We can be steadfast even when the world around us is being shaken. The world is experiencing shaking times. We can be steadfast even during turbulent times. And we can be steadfast essentially because we have the God of heaven and earth living on the inside of us. And that makes all the difference. When God comes and takes up residence in you and uh, does an incredible work, makes you alive to God, and He is there as the, the deposit for the future, and He is living inside of you, that deposit by the Holy Spirit, I wanna tell you that we can stand firm because of God. And we can also be steadfast because of the hope that He gives us for the future. Do you realize that if you have hope for the future, it helps you to stand steadfast. Many people get tremendously shaken when the world gets shaken because they don't have a hope. But we have the most glorious hope in Jesus Christ and He is a sure foundation. He is the rock of ages. And so I'm talking about being steadfast. Now let's look at 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50 to 58. The Apostle Paul is speaking here about some interesting things. He says, now, I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. Paul's about to give a secret here. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In the moment in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I, I, I love the fact that God always brings in the victory that he gives us. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. You are born of, of God, you're an overcomer. And it's because of Jesus. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast. There is our title. This is Paul speaking to you. 
Be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So we say the Lord bless the reading of his holy word. Amen. And please keep your Bible open. We're going to refer back several times. Now, essentially, I have three points that I'd like to share based out of this passage. All three points are quite different um, from one another, but they come directly out of the passage. And the first point I'd like to say is this. The day is coming when our bodies will be transformed and made ready for eternity. That's what this passage is saying. Would you allow that just to sink in a little bit? The day is coming where your and my bodies will be transformed and will be made ready for eternity. Praise the Lord. It says in verse 52, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. There it is, straight from the word of God. Now, do me a favor, why don't you turn to the person next to you and say the following to them, I'm getting a new body, please tell them that, tell them. <laughs> now tell them this, tell them, it's gonna look more awesome than now. <laughs> it's gonna look more awesome than now. Now, do you realize, folks, that our earthly bodies are not suited for heaven? They're not suited for heaven. We must have these glorified bodies in order to live with God throughout all eternity. And that's why verse 50 says, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. The thing is that our bodies cannot handle the full power and presence of God. And that is why when here on earth, there are times, special times of God's power where perhaps you've been prayed for and so on, or you're in a time of worship, that is why sometimes we tend to cry in the Lord's presence. Some people might start to shake in the presence of God. It's not uncommon also for people to fall down. Now, this should really be of no surprise to us because our physical bodies get overwhelmed by the presence of God. And that is why some of these things happen. And I don't believe that it's people trying to act in a funny way. Perhaps there may be a couple of people that do that. But on the whole, people are experiencing God's touch and suddenly they just start to shake. They don't understand it. It's because God's presence is overwhelming. Now, Paul says, I tell you a mystery. Interesting. Now, why was it considered a mystery when the resurrection, which he's referring to, was already foretold in the Old Testament? Hmm. Well, because now, for the first time, it became clear that those who are alive when Jesus returns in the clouds will be changed in an instant. This had not been known before, it now became known. And so this was a mystery that God had now revealed by the Apostle Paul. It had not been known before. Verse 53 in your Bible is quite interesting. It says, for this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. In that verse, I would suggest that there are two categories of believers 
that will exist at the time when Jesus returns. The one is corruptible and the one is mortal. And let me just say this, corruptible, I believe that those refers, that refers to the bodies that have already died and decomposed, they are ashes, they are dust in the grave, and they will put on incorruption. The other category is mortal. That refers, I believe, to those who are still alive and they will put on immortality supernaturally by God. So what is interesting about this is that some believers will not actually taste death. Do you realize that that's, that is what it's saying? Some believers will not actually taste death. Now, we would all be affected by death because you might know of, of, of a loved one that passed away or a dear friend that passed away. And, and so we'll all have an understanding of these sorts of things and have been perhaps impacted. But there will be some of us who will still be alive if the Lord tarries. Um, well, not, no, let me put it this way. Some of you are still gonna be alive when Jesus comes if Terry's or not, I'm getting confused here for a moment. But the bottom line is that there will be people alive when Jesus comes and they will not taste death. Very interesting. And it could be you if you're still alive <laughs> at that point in time. But our bodies, whether dead or alive, when Jesus comes, will be instantly changed and this will happen in the twinkling of an eye. Can you imagine that? What's the twinkling of an eye? It's like a blink. You just blink, and all of a sudden, this transformation has taken place. Now, you may ask, well, what will these glorified bodies look like? Let me say this. We don't know a whole lot uh, of detail around that, but there are some things that we can see through the Word of God. Our glorified bodies will be free from disease. Won't that be wonderful? It'll be free from decay. They will not age. Our glorified bodies, you will not need to sleep anymore. You will not need to consume food anymore, and they will never die. One theologian says the following, each person will still be recognizable, will still be the person God created him or her to be, but each person will be made perfect with a body that will be able to live forever in the kingdom. Folks, can you just imagine having an immortal body, a body that will never die, a body that will never age? You will forever look awesomely beautiful <laughs> and you're not gonna be aging. Can you imagine that you look in the mirror, if there's mirrors in heaven or what, I don't know, you look in the mirror and you never see wrinkles. Isn't that it's cool? I mean, uh, oil of delay and uh, anti-wrinkle cream will not be necessary anymore. Our bodies will be immortal. They will never age. And so the question is, well, when will we receive these heavenly bodies? And it's quite simple. It will happen when the trumpet sounds and at the same time when Jesus returns in the clouds. May I remind you that in the book of Acts, we see the story of the ascension. At the ascension, all those believers were gathered around Jesus and in front of their eyes, they saw Jesus being lifted up before them and he lifted higher and higher and eventually clouds covered over him and he disappeared into the clouds. And then the angels came and said, don't keep on looking up into the clouds. They said, this same Jesus 
will come in like manner. He will return in the clouds. And so I wanna tell you that this is what the scripture is referring to, that Jesus is gonna come like he left, he will come in like manner. And I love the fact that it says this same Jesus, because some people have said, well, they believe Jesus will return in like a spiritual dimension. No, it will be the same person of Jesus that will return in the clouds to come and get his church and the rapture will take place. Amen, give the Lord a hand of praise. Praise the Lord. And so it says in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16 to 17 in the NLT, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet call of God. First, the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. Then, together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with him forever. And this is the moment when we will receive our glorified bodies. And you know what? Can you imagine that moment where dead bodies that are buried in coffins and ashes and so on will be supernaturally transformed and resurrected and raised from the dead? And some people say, well, does it matter if I have a burial by, you know, in a coffin, in a grave, or does it matter if I have a cremation? You know what? It doesn't really matter at all. Because if God can form mankind from the dust of the earth, he can find your ashes, though they be sprinkled out at sea, and he can cause you to be supernaturally raised. Don't limit God. <laughs> Don't bring him down to our level. And so can you imagine that moment when suddenly people start coming out of the graves? Wow. And they are supernaturally raised and ashes get supernaturally raised. It actually boggles the mind. But can you imagine if you and I are alive at the time and you look at the loved ones around you that love Jesus and they are changed right in front of your eyes without seeing death and suddenly you see your wife looking more incredible than ever and she's looking amazing and the husband, wow, we've got these glorified bodies, look at her. And folks, we need to live with the reality that Jesus is coming again, that what he said is true. He said, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. He is not a man that he should lie. And I wanna say it loud and clear, Jesus is coming back again. He is. And in that moment, we will receive our glorified bodies. We tend to think of this life as the be all and end all, but it is not this life is just a stepping stone for eternity. And this, this reality, knowing that God has an indescribable future for you and I, should make you stand steadfast because you are certain of your future in Christ. And therefore, you can stand steadfast because you have a glorious future, amen? Number two, you can be steadfast and immovable in God. Say that with me. You can be steadfast and immovable in God. Verse 57 and 58 says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, here it comes. Be steadfast and immovable. Child of God, this is what the Lord is saying to you today. Be steadfast. Be steadfast, be immovable. 
Now, won't you make this declaration out in faith after me? I can be steadfast and immovable in the Lord God. What does it mean to be steadfast? If we look at a definition, it means standing firm, standing fixed. It means being constant, unwavering, not changing in your attitude or purpose. Now, what is the opposite of being steadfast? The opposite is being unstable and wavering. And this includes indecisiveness, vacillating, being in two minds, doubtful, unsure, chopping and changing, etc. And you know what? This is not how the people of God should live. We should not live as unstable people. We should not live as those who are wavering because you know what? It doesn't represent God well if we do that. And if God is the rock of ages, which he is, and our lives are built on him, then we should be a steadfast people, and that is who we are. God has made you to be a steadfast person, not a person thrown around by every wind of doctrine. And do you remember the wise man who built his house on the rock? The Bible says that the rains came and the floods came, and the winds beat, about that, beat against that house, but the wise man had built his house on the rock, so it did not fall because it was established on the rock. And so I wanna say then on the converse side that people who waver and are unstable can possibly be described by a couple of these phrases. They are, as I mentioned, tossed by every wind of doctrine. They are not convinced that God is actually good. They run after false prophets. They fear calamity. They are suspicious of God's goodness. They are gullible. They tend to be swept up in pyramid schemes. They tend to be swept up in conspiracy theories because their hope is in the wrong place. And God will allow you to be steadfast if your hope will be in Him. But we should not be like this, tossed about by every wind of doctrine. I wanna tell you, there's a better way to live, there's a better way to live, and as children of God, we can live in this better way. It says in Psalm 112, verse seven to eight, and it talks about the righteous man. Listen here, it says he, this is the righteous man, will not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is steadfast. There's our title right there. Trusting in the Lord, his heart is established. He will not be afraid. The Amplified Bible puts it very beautifully. It says, his heart is firmly fixed, trusting in the Lord. Don't you like that? Now, uh, we are blessed to have a wonderful mom, my brothers and I. And my mom, she's uh, 81 years of age and still on fire for the Lord. Since we were youngsters, the Lord gave my mom a promise for each of the three sons' lives, and she still prays that promise over our lives still today on a daily basis. Can we just thank the Lord for an example like that? Amen. I want to tell you, you declare the word of God over your life and over your children's life. You'll be amazed at what God does. So the promise that the Lord had for my mom over my life was this one. 
For John, his heart is firmly fixed, trusting in the Lord. And praise God that she's claimed that over my life. Now, in verse seven, it says, notice this, he will not be afraid of evil tidings. This is the man who is righteous, whose heart is steadfast. He will not be afraid of evil tidings. So when they say that a second wave of coronavirus is coming, how do we respond? Well, as children of God who are steadfast, we do not fear. Because we are steadfast and we are firm in the Lord. And it's so wonderful that we can be like that. And you know what? I've discovered that the Bible has so much to say about a steadfast heart that it gives me great confidence and I am convinced that we can be steadfast and immovable in God, amen? Now, just uh, still under this point, in Psalm 57, verse seven to 11, David says the following, he says, my heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and give praise. Awake, my glory, awake, lute and harp. I will awaken the dawn, I will praise you, Lord, among the people, among all the nations. And he says a couple of other things, and he says, be exalted, God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above the earth. Now, this psalm, I would submit to you, is quite remarkable, because David is literally fleeing for his life from Saul. <laughs> He's running for his life. And in the midst of all that trouble and turmoil, he makes a declaration and he says, my heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. And I believe that no matter what trouble you may be facing today, that you can be steadfast in the Lord. And why don't you make that declaration? You say, John, you don't understand. I've been through the most terrible divorce. There is so much pain in my heart right now. And I wanna say to you, won't you say with David, my heart is steadfast, oh God, my heart is steadfast. You might say, John, I've lost my income. I've lost my job in this time. And my heart goes out to you. But won't you come into line with God's word and say, my heart is steadfast, oh God, my heart is steadfast. Because I tell you, when you align with the word of God, you'll be surprised at how God will establish you and he will cause you to be firm and steadfast. Moving on to the last point, point number three. Keep working enthusiastically for the Lord. There is much kingdom work to be done. <laughs> Think about that, let that settle in. Keep working enthusiastically for the Lord because there is much kingdom work to be done. And our text in verse 58, I hope you've still got your Bible open. Verse 58 says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and immovable. We've just touched on that. Now it says, always abounding in the work of the Lord. So suddenly this, there's this shift from being steadfast. Now it goes into abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. In the NLT translation, it says, always work enthusiastically for the Lord. In the God's Word translation, it says, always excel in the work you do for the Lord. The message always puts an interesting spin on it. Don't hold back. Throw yourselves into the work of the Master. So do you see the context of abounding in the work of the Lord? 
Now, would you care to make this declaration after me? Here goes. There is kingdom work to be done. I am ready and willing. Lord, you can use me. Amen. I believe that's a wonderful declaration to make. And I've heard it said that sometimes people cry out to God in a moment of emotion and they say, Lord, would you please use me? Use me. And then a few months later, God is using them and good things are starting to happen, but they feel, wow, this is, this is quite a lot that's happening. And then they say, God, I feel used. <laughs> I wanna tell you, if you make yourself available to God, God will take you at your word if you mean it from your heart and he will begin to use you. Now, as we are gathered together here and we got 250 people in the house and others listening online, I wanna say that some of you under the sound of my voice, you are serving actively and enthusiastically. You are serving in the kingdom, you're involved and you're serving in the house of the Lord and that is so wonderful. It's to be encouraged but I believe that there are others under the sound of my voice that you have not gotten involved and you are standing on the sidelines observing so many others of your brothers and sisters that are serving the Lord, but you're just observing what is going on. And I would like to point out one word from verse 58, and it is the word abounding. Would you please say that? Say it a little bit louder. Abounding. And so in other words, I wanna tell you that God calls you to a life of abounding in the work of the Lord. That just doesn't, that doesn't speak of just a, a slither of involvement in serving the Lord and making yourself available in the kingdom. No, it talks about abounding in the work of the Lord. And I do wanna challenge some folks that are listening to me today, and I really feel that this is a challenge not from my thoughts, but from the Lord saying to you that some of you need to pick up a towel and begin to serve. And I put that out boldly and unashamedly based on the scripture that says that God wants us to be abounding in the work of the Lord. You know, as a youngster, I went to my dad one day. I was in probably my early teens. And I said to my dad, I said, Dad, I'd like to get involved in the church. My dad was leading the second largest church in South Africa at that point in time. And I said, Dad, I'd like to get involved. Can you point out one area where I can get involved? And he said the following words to me. He said, this is my advice to you. Get involved in everything. It's not really what I wanted to hear. <laughs> I thought maybe he would say, well, this one area, you know, start to operate serving on a camera or something. And my dad said, get involved in everything. And he said, you know what? And he called me back in those days, Johnny. He said, you know what, Johnny? I began to do that from when I was young. When my dad was 18, he was radically converted and came really on fire for God in an Easter camp. And he began to serve everywhere he could. He played trumpet in the band. He sang in the choir. He taught in the Sunday school. He helped pack out the chairs. He attended the prayer meetings. He helped with camps, etc. And it opened the way for my dad to begin to serve the Lord in a most incredible way, but he had to start somewhere. Now, I know that there are people under the sound of my voice that you are you convinced in your heart that God is gonna use you mightily in the kingdom of God in the future. 
And I believe that God gives those visions and he gives those dreams, but he also says, well, what have you got in your hand? What have I put in front of you? Because if you will be faithful in little, I wanna tell you, God will make you faithful over much. He who desires to be great in the kingdom of God, learn to be the servant of all. And so in my dad's life, he saw this principle at work and he got involved in everything. And so then I thought, well, I'm gonna take my dad's advice. And within a few years, I was literally serving everywhere. I was playing drums in the band. I was doing the sound. I was serving in the youth. I was helping the media team. I was doing a radio program four times a week. I was leading the home cell. I was leading worship. And you know what? It was wonderful. It was really exciting. Because as you begin to make yourself available to be used by God, there is a deep sense of fulfillment that comes into your heart. Jesus said to his disciples, I have food to eat of which you do not know. My food is to do the will of my Father. There is nothing as satisfying as serving the Lord. And you who are actively serving the Lord, you know it. You've experienced it. And so I want to say that that also opened doors for me in terms of my future. And it was only many years later that the Lord said to me, okay, John, you've been involved in like everything. I mean, like a floodplain of stuff. And he said, now I'm gonna begin to focus your serving in line with what I have in your focused calling, which will have to do with church leadership and pastoring and worship and so on. And 